0: From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host, OCFA's Assistant Chief of Organizational Planning, Mike Schrader!
1: all right well welcome back to the orange county fire authority pass along podcast uh, before we get into our news update i wanted to just give you a little teaser for our next uh, featured segment which is uh, coming from uh, division chief ken cruz and operations support division um, and he'll be leading
0: a panel uh, on discussion for wildland firefighting preparedness here in the county you know um, we have uh, all this dedicated open space and we also have um, our contract with CAL FIRE as well as our um, national Forest within the county. So one of the things that uh, we just want to impress upon you is that this uh, wildland firefighting problem will always be uh, part of one of the issues of this agency. So we just want to give you some tools and tips to help you um, be better prepared.
1: All right, let's cover some news and noteworthy. Uh, We just graduated 42 Explorers from our annual week-long Fire Exploring uh, Academy. And uh, as you know, um, a few years back, uh, we lost one of our own firefighter, John Lawrence. And this academy in particular was unique and and kind of special in that his son, uh, Ben Lawrence, was amongst those who graduated. So that was the first fire exploring group um, and and obviously had some special overtones. In addition to that, uh, we were able to deploy our new fire exploring trailer, which was donated to us by the Orange County Fire Authority Foundation and the Kevin Wojak Foundation as well. Um, Kevin, as you'll recall, uh, was an explorer with LA County Fire, and then went on to serve uh, with the Granite Mountain Hotshots, and unfortunately um, uh, was killed during the Yarnell Fire uh, burnover. His father is a uh, LA County Fire captain, and they started this foundation to honor Kevin's memory. And so they uh, made a sizable donation to assist us in acquiring that exploring trailer, which was obviously a a pretty neat uh, gesture by them and able to memorialize um, Kevin's life and his commitment to the explorers as well so again uh, special thanks to them and really thanks to all OCFA personnel who helped to make the Exploring Academy so special Uh, it 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 spans all sections of the fire authority from financial paperwork to exploring advisors to division 2 office to admin work to the USAR folks allowing us to utilize um, their tents to house the Explorers, to the training section, and on and on. So uh, just a, a wide um, uh, thank you and shout out to all who assisted in those endeavors. Now, without further ado, here's the featured segment on Wildland Firefighting Preparedness with Division Chief Ken Cruz.
0: Well, welcome, everybody, to this uh, edition of the podcast on uh, July tenth 2017. I'd uh, just like to thank you for joining us today. And um, with us, we've uh, assembled a panel. We're going to discuss uh, some of the uh, nuances of wildland firefighting within here in the uh, county. And I've got uh, Brian Norton, uh, the town chief in charge of pre-fire management, and John Lamb, superintendent from Crews and Equipment. I've got Jim Day, our captain, training officer, and also got Natalie Nacker from uh, WeFit. So we are here just assembled, just going to talk about it and hopefully uh, give you some tips on how to prepare for this very active fire season. Um, here in the county, you know, um, we have uh, all this dedicated open space and we also have um, our contract with CAL FIRE as well as our um, na- national forest within the county. So one of the things that uh, we just wanna impress upon you is that this uh, wildland firefighting pro- problem will always be uh, part of one of the issues of this agency. So. So I want to give you some tools and tips to help you um, be better prepared. And with that, I'd like to just kind of kick it over to uh, Jim Day just to talk about some personal preparedness. Go ahead, Jimmy.
2: All right, Chief. Um, one of the things I just wanted to remind everyone is, uh, you know, obviously being prepared is, is to bring all your gear and have all your gear with you all the time, every time. Whether it's in the middle of wintertime, um, whether you're in the middle of the city, it's always good to make sure you, you have your stuff because you never know when you're gonna end up uh, on a wildland fire. So uh, that includes your, your boots, your red bag, all your, your, uh, your uh, web gear. Just the other day on the uh, fire there in Santa Margarita, Engine 74 was first in uh, from the middle of okay. Santa Ana. And uh, so they had all their gear and, and they did a good job. So just because you're in the city or it's raining uh, or misting, um, you got you always gotta be ready. Yeah, that uh,
0: cracked me up. I was driving by and I saw engine 74 and 370 there in Santa Margarita fighting the vegetation fire. There you go. <laughs>
2: the, their move up, yeah, I think that was a move up and cover, I believe, right, when we were down in Sacramento on, mm-hmm. on that fire. So um, a couple other things that, always have your red bag with you, uh, seven days worth of um, gear. Uh, I always like to have Maybe it, depending on the time of year in my either in my red bag or on my wildland pack is a set of uh, a base layer long underwear if you will uh, for those well, those fall fires and Santa Ana wind driven fires or the you know we have a big history in the winter time of having fires and you get up the hill and the fire's now kind of out and you're in the mop-up mode and the wind's blowing 40 miles an hour and it's 40 degrees outside like uh, a couple years ago on the Majesca fire they were they had a, f- a fire in the middle of the winter and they actually froze some water in the hose and those guys are up on the hill for the, most of the night so being mm-hmm. prepared is, is, a good, is a good thing. So uh, you guys bring your headlamps? Uh, I know the crew brings their headlamps, right? Every, every,
3: every single yeah. call in our packs and another thing is in the hive, the crew handbook has what we carry in our red bag and in our pack if anyone's wondering what they might carry in the red bag. Right. so. Right. Fun, and uh,
0: with the equipment committee, we just got the uh, new packs for everybody right. to be able to carry those kinds of things. Uh, you know, just learning from recent that's fires right. that uh, the packs we had issued didn't didn't cut it for right. covering everything that we needed out there on the line. Yeah. Just you the made, bare bones red. minimum, four to six quarts of water couldn't do
3: it with the uh, with the web gear.
2: Yeah, that was another thing I wanted. It was uh, you, you mentioned it about the water. Uh, the holy fire last year happened. What did that start? Five o'clock in the morning. In the Four, morning. five o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning.
4: I think it was earlier. Yeah. So
2: everybody's in bed sleeping uh, for a long time, a long time without any fuel fuel in their body, and they wake up and now they're going up a, a super steep hill with no nutrition on board. And um, so I always like to keep uh, you know at least a thousand calories in Cliff Bars, um, goo, you know trail mix that kind of stuff in your pack that you're carrying on your back so you have something that will get you over uh you know until they can get some food into you MRE, and
3: yeah. the crew there. we also carry all the snacks but also a, bro- a broke down mre get rid of all the junk and with those new packs like the crew packs you'll be able to carry that you should be able to carry an mre and be self-sufficient on the food part for 24 hours
4: right
0: And, Natalie, you were instrumental in the whole drip drop thing.
4: Yeah, we were finding that uh, hydration just wasn't cutting it, the normal water and Gatorade. We still were having firefighters suffering from severe dehydration, both, you know, wildland and structural firefighting. So we started to open up our eyes and talk to other agencies. L.A. County was one of the big ones that started it, did a bunch of research, and then um, we started to do our own research here. Saw huge successes with our academy recruits, and then um, started implementing it little by little, and just have had such a great success with just just recovery with the the guys out in the field, as well as being able to carry a bunch of extra electrolytes without the added weight. Added, you know, um, six extra bottles of Gatorade and six extra bottles of water. So um, that and Soldier Bars, which are um, very compact, um, easily held in a pack and uh, our BC's, our service support, rehab all has all that stuff now for our guys Um, just in case a fire goes out at 5 a.m. or 11 you know in the morning and right through lunch and it takes a while to get food on the line we have those easily just to pass out get them through with high carbs a little bit of protein and some good fats to sustain them so we're all working on our end. Good stuff. So in addition to just nutrition and hydration that are still imperative because here's some statistics for you guys. Uh, Wildland firefighters um, lose about one liter of uh, sweat. Um, And when they lose that, they lose about 580 calories um, just in energy. And then um, we lose about two liters an hour doing hard work, um, as well as um, about 5,000 calories and six to eight hours of just strenuous work. So, if we're not replenishing just that nutrition component, we're gonna go downhill quick, as well as the amount of sweat that we're losing is not just water, think about all the electrolytes. So, that's why the drip drop has been pretty close to miraculous and rehydrating and helping us recover on the line and after we get off the line. Um, Wildland firefighters, we know, endure all that stress, the fatigue, the dehydration, and the poor nutrition just because they're trying to carry all that stuff on the line. So, um, and then just the amount of heat that they're taking with the fire next to them as well as the high temperatures. I know, John, you guys were working that Mexico fire last oh, year.
3: Yeah, the border fire was insane. How hot was insane? that? 111 on the line. Yeah. And uh, most of us had switched over to hydroflask at that point. hmm um, which work outstanding. Yes. Actually, those of us that had still had ice in our water, but uh, the guys that were still using the Nalgene's handed me the their water bottles like about halfway through the shift, and
4: hot. The water was hot. <laughs> yeah, and that's Not why just warm, hot. Yeah, when you told me that, that's why with the rowing challenge, we got the the hydro flasks mm-hmm. as a little gift, oh, yeah. so that the eighteen ounces would be perfect for a drip drop, motivate guys to get out there and row, and then. Use those for their packs specifically. That size would fit perfect, and with the top with the carabiner. Um, one thing I don't think we realize is there's a cumulative heat stress effect. So if you're out there working the line and you don't really get adequate recovery, which we don't typically, <coughs> excuse me, um, with multiple days of work, but that cumulative heat stress um, adds up and it puts us at that tipping point sometimes for that heat exhaustion or that um, that heat stroke, and so being fitter, having that nutrition, drinking more water and rehydrating is actually more beneficial to reducing that cumulative effect. We're not always gonna be able to mitigate everything because of the arduous job that firefighting is, especially in these extreme weather conditions. Um, But they know that fitness allows one to perform those tasks, allows them to work at a higher heart rate for longer periods of time and then recover. Um, with way more ease and success than somebody who's out of shape. Um, I do know that usually at the beginning of the year when they start doing the RT-130 and they start doing the battalion drills, one of the complaints from the battalion chiefs is that a lot of the firefighters just don't look fit. They're not ready. They're not ready to hike hills. They're not ready to put those packs on and go up as fast as possible to try to pinch and, and get the flank. Um, so we've developed a workout program specifically um, for wildland firefighting and that's on the hive under the WeFit team site. And it's really all it is. It's building up leg endurance, um, getting guys used to working on inclines. We have them on the treadmill. One thing that people ask is how do we prepare for wildland season or how do we prepare? Like The best thing to do is to get out there, put a pack on, go for a long hike, prepare for the job by doing the job getting outside, acclimating, slow periods of time, or little periods of time, and then getting into longer periods of time of being outside, being in your full PPE, doing maybe a light workout on duty, but don't sit in the chairs in the AC all day. I know a lot of um, controversy came up last year when we had some firefighters go down. Um, and one of the concerns was, were they working out too hard at the station? Were they not working out? And it was a mix of both. So. You still should be cognizant of the weather that day. Be prepared. That goes along with Captain's Day Um, recommendations of knowing your weather, knowing the resources that day, knowing what unit you're on. Even if you're in the city location, don't doing something crazy for a workout. But also um, staying in shape, mobilized, making sure you're prepared, having bars with you, having water ready on the unit so that if you're going to a call and you know it's a working fire, you can chug a quick drip drop or you can you know, have a quick bottle of water, have the ones from in your unit in your pack, um, especially if you were just working out. It's up to you um, and the department does a good job of um, helping out with all the stuff that we've added to the service support, the BCs, the safety units. We're beefing up the rehab um, component through our EMS program. So um, a lot of it does still come down on the firefighters being prepared and that goes with their fitness components, goes with the nutrition side, as well as doing the job, practicing it so they can prepare for the actual real job. And there's no comparison. I couldn't give you a workout that compares to hiking a hill with a pack for, versus hiking a hill with a pack and getting used to it as a crew and, as a, and in the heat.
0: Absolutely. And before you get off the, um, the, the packs there, just want to remind everybody too that uh, we've got the you know the blue EMS packs for the units that are PAUs and, and quite often they're forgotten on the rigs and we have these line emergencies and nobody's got anything to treat our own folks with yeah. when they're right there on the rig and, and as the medic assigned to that rig, that's, that's part of your responsibility. I know it adds a couple pounds but you know that's critical. Excellent point.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I just want to
3: talk quickly about uh, uh, last year on that fire where firefighters were going down primarily to the leadership. I was division alpha on that fire and I surprisingly it was a hot day um, not a lot of wind and surprisingly a lot of young fit firefighters were coming up getting to the top of my division and they looked gassed they just were completely out of it not to the T I asked them well and they seemed to be more on the newer firefighter the probationary side yeah so they that morning it was hot and dry but they did a stair workout, 20 stories or whatever it is. Um, we just need to remember for our crews to a light workout when it's a fire day. Yeah. And uh, if you're managing a division, what I did was when uh, those guys, I saw them get to the top of the hill, they were gassed. I handed each one of them a water and a gato and said, go sit in the shade underneath that sumac and don't get up until you've consumed these because we have a duty to keep our people uh, from suffering heat stress.
4: Yeah.
0: When I was in the Army, um, on the hour, uh, on those high heat days, we would have to all chug a canteen. Mm-hmm. And we all show that we had all drank our whole canteen. Uh,
4: well, yeah, they have yeah. the, um, the military-grade you know, heat index and the work conditions, the work-to-rest ratios. And when we're typically in red flag, that's their black line, that's their black conditions. And their work-to-rest ratio is recommended as 10 minutes of work for 50 minutes of rest, we know that's not feasible <laughs> right. on a on you know, a brush a fire. Right. So we have to be smarter. You have to take things more like um, you know steady pace. You can't go at that you know high intensity right off the bat. Even though we get excited, especially the newer firefighters, or they want to you know um, show that they're they're there to do something important. Um, but something like that can can go from zero to 60 very fast. I know that one um, the safety officer that, that had an issue with Holy Gym, same thing. He was going, trying to get everybody uh, to get drink water and get the drip drop. And next thing he knew, it just hit him. And he had just didn't realize that it just caught up to him real quick. And it can happen to anybody. So being you know, fit is not going to be a cure-all or the drip drop or any of that stuff. But again, it comes down to knowing yourself, knowing that you're prepared. The more prepared you are, the better you're going to be, the, the more successful you are going to be with the performance you're going to do that day. Um, but we still have to know our our environment, our resources. and um,
3: Especially when you're learning a new yeah. job or yeah. trying to do your job, you got to make sure you hydrate yourself.
4: Yeah. Uh, it's important
5: to note, too, where a lot of this came from. I mean, the, the PAUs, which are now medic engines on all of our strike teams, and the the blue bags, the pouches, all that went back to, was it 1996 with Tom Wall? It was mm-hmm. 1996, one of our captains, Tom Wall, had a heart attack in Calamaşa, And that's what started the whole concept with the PAUs, leading to the medic engines. And I think knowing that relevance on how we got here, it was truly taking care of our own because somebody died. Can't be forgotten why we're carrying this whole thing forward from here.
3: Well, well,
2: it, some, one of the, one of the, It might be a good idea to reconsider where we're actually putting that blue bag. Um, you know, a lot of times we put our clamp bags and in our, in our nozzle packs right next to the host pack so we don't forget them. So that might be a consideration is put that blue bag right in there, right there with the host pack so that guys don't forget it. It's there when they see it.
4: Consideration. And it wouldn't even be a bad idea, too, to throw some drip drop in there, a couple little packs of that, because that's even shown to be just as effective as an IV. So if you don't have the resources at that time, you can throw it in there and um, start rehabbing them because last year we had six total go to the hospital i got the numbers from risk management. and the years before we were like one two here and there and the average cost of sending one person to the uh, er is about nine grand and that's not considering backfill and what it takes to take a unit out of service so um
3: buy a lot of drip drop for that
4: <laughs> yeah and we did and right. we are yes
3: i yeah. <laughs> see about yes 25 cases or yeah. i forget there's <laughs> <laughs> it? more. Yeah, 25. The crew just put their order in to, Yeah, for that amount.
4: So it's really again it's, it's up to it's individual response you know the department is trying to do as much as they can uh, changing to support the needs especially with unique needs of wildland firefighting because it is can, it can be an extended event um, and food can take a while to get there. Um, so we do um, recommend that everyone tries to keep their own snacks, their water and then We'll try to support that stuff, too, with the researched items, cost-effective, but also what's best for our guys on the line.
2: Very good. Uh, some of the things I always like to remind my guys about is is know, know what's going on around you. Like, you're coming on duty off of a four-day, and um, you obviously want to be prepared for, for whatever's going on, so have a good idea. Um, there's a couple websites on there. Everybody's heard of the hot list, wildlinefire.com. It's a good idea to get an idea of, what's actually burning in the maybe in the region so there might be if you guys are up on the strike team or if you're not up on the strike team you gotta be prepared um, that's a good that's a good resource uh, some of the NIFC uh, FTP sites have a lot of downloadable information for with current maps IR flights so as you're heading up on a strike team if you're on a strike team and you're getting sent to one of these fires you can start pulling this stuff up on your on your uh, iPhones and kind of find out where the fires actually headed uh, where where all the heat is, you know what divisions are are are, uh, are moving out. Um, weather forecasts, you know the, the with the with the smartphones now we got access to a lot of information. So it's just a it's good a good resource to to um, to look at.
0: Yeah, it's uh, July 17th or sorry July 10th, and we have uh, two strike teams out now. Uh, Metro has three. And uh, we have a variety of overhead out to the point where we're maxed out. So um, I know a lot of folks, uh, especially with that uh, 1401 Alpha, that came in on duty that day that were all overtime crews, and uh, now they're finding themselves up in Santa Barbara <laughs> protecting some homes. So In the front country, no less. Dangerous sundowner country. Yes. Yeah. Right.
2: Uh, stri- talking about strike teams a little bit, um, you know, there's a little bit of etiquette we like to see when we're out there uh, over the years. Um, it's always been a good idea to remind folks, um, you know, we're, we're out there representing the OCFA. And uh, sometimes uh, if we're under the state mission, we're, we're also representing CAL FIRE. So we want to be on our, on our best behavior, make sure we're following our SOPs. And again, this is just reminders. Most people know this stuff, but uh, um, wearing a uniform, shirt, knowing Omex in, in the chow lines. Uh, you know make sure you wash up They, they so There's some fires they won't even let you go through the chow line if you're wearing some no mix or you haven't washed your face and and whatnot but that's just to uh, keep trying to keep everybody healthy and safe um one of the other things i wanted to, to to mention was uh when you actually get into fire camp is to be prompt so if you guys are just rolling in maybe you're off the the last shift and you're rolling back in for your next shift is have all your um Break up, delegate all your responsibilities. So maybe one engine gets all the ice and all the lunches. Uh, somebody gets water. Somebody gets the the radios cloned, so that when the the strike team leader and the captains are done with that operational briefing, they can get right on the road and get right out to the fire line as quickly as possible. Because 24 hours later, when you're waiting and it's new and you still haven't gotten relief, that's kind of a bummer. So you're just going to remember um, we want to we want to get out there as quick as we can.
5: So. And we don't want to be those guys that they're waiting on either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think it's also important to note with that for the strike team leaders in the overhead to know how they were ordered before they go, because a little bit of work on the front side of that is going to save finance a lot of work on the back side. And you look at a strike team, which is what, about 10000 actually $20,000 per day for a strike team. If the paperwork's not done correctly, we don't get reimbursed, and that puts a big hole into the department's budget until we get reimbursed eventually down the road. So the other thing that's important, too, is if there's any crew rotations or anything that is going to be done for that strike team, the pre-designated strike teams, that needs to be done well ahead of time. I know there's been the last couple of strike teams, there's been engines where it's taken upwards of 20 minutes or more to move an engine around. That's just unacceptable for what we do.
0: And Well, we've got you, Brian. I want to switch gears a little and talk about uh, our new dispatch procedures and um Just a little bit of the evolution of that, and then figure uh, let everybody know because there was a lot of controversy between what was taught and tag, and then knowing that there were um, changes coming, but unfortunately uh, not all the pieces were in place. But now they are, so when you got folks getting ready for the you know captain's test, and then just guys that have been on a while that just want to know how to order things properly uh, coming forward.
5: And I think the way that that was put into place. A lot of it was technology driven, so tri-tech had to get brought up to speed and there was a lot of programming that needed to get accomplished beforehand. Um, but for the background of that, as a contract county from CAL FIRE, we receive roughly about $9.1 million a year um, in funding. With that, the funding is for fire protection and they define that as um, fire prevention, education and suppression and all of those things combined lead up to their goal of keeping 95% of the wildland fires in the county to 10 acres or less. So with that, um, this process started to develop a fire danger operating plan really about three years ago. Um, And that was at the direction of the state. It was to effectively identify the fuel moisture, the weather and everything else combined. And that fits into our watershed dispatch level, which in turn is what drives, um, what units go to what fire on the correct day. So with that, that's for state responsibility areas, which are identified. And when we send a response, as of right now, it's just low, medium, and high. So the controversy came into it, or not controversy, it's the change. And keep in mind that the change was meant to make our world easier and more understandable. So the fire danger operating plan will set the dispatch level based on the fuels, the weather, and the topography out of our raw stations which will set the dispatch for the entire day, either low, medium, or high. So the changes that occurred with that is in the medium, what we're gonna be switching to is an alarm methodology similar to what we do for structure fires. So on a medium day, you'll have the option of the first alarm, which is what you get right out of the barn. And if the fire has potential, and we need to ask for additional resources, you can simply ask for a second alarm and whatever other resources you're going to need for structure defense um, to adequately perform our jobs. So the medium will have a set criteria for resources for a first alarm and a second alarm. And the high will also have a first alarm and a second alarm, which will have much more in the way of resources. And the reason behind that is with the Fire Danger Operating Plan, a lot of it is driven by wind. So on those high dispatch days, that's when we have significant wind and that significant wind, historically, looking back at the data for 20 to 30 years, are when we have the larger fires in the county. So that's the, really the big change with it. The other significant change is on a medium or high dispatch in a SRA area or a threat, aircraft are gonna be part of that dispatch. So you'll get one air attack and two air tankers, closest resources, in addition to our helicopters, so the first in-company officers, the first in-chief officers need to be heads up that having that com package established and being able to either continue or cancel that aircraft based on what your needs are is imperative. And that aircraft um, increase was at the request of the state, like we said, to meet their mission of 95% of the fires to 10 acres or less. And I think a, a good example of that were the last two fires we had down in San Clemente. On The first fire that we had, which started on Camp Pendleton and burned into Orange County, there was a little bit of a delay in the aircraft, probably 15 to 20 minutes. Um, in the state's opinion, that probably made the difference of what could have been a 10-acre fire becoming a 700-acre fire. So they're still going to pay for the aircraft, but instead of having two air tankers, we ended up with six air tankers, and that was their take on it. So the positive on that is the fire that we had last week. I think that was La Potta. It was Mm -hmm. held to a much smaller amount of acreage, 42.1 or something to that effect. And that, the aircraft was ordered promptly right out of the barn, and that was instrumental in keeping that fire at a much smaller acreage. So that's really the intent with this, is to keep it um, understandable, keep it simple. There is going to be some outreach training that's put together by operations training. that will be coming out in the next couple weeks, and right now the target is the alarm methodology. will go live on or about um, August 1st. Um, the only other thing you might want to talk about is the, the initial attack strike team concept, which will be part of that as well. Um, so, really, in simple terms, there's been a lot of discussion about what an IA strike team is. Really, all that it is are the closest resources and strike team configuration with a leader that gets them there without any delay. So, the three types of strike teams we have in the state now are initial attack, and that is closest resource, get them there, they basically form up at the incident. There's immediate need, which has a little bit more of a delay to get things together. Um, Typically that uses our planned need strike teams that are already in place. And then you have a planned need strike team, which is typically for the next operational period. But the biggest change we had internally for us this year is the initial attack strike team. And I think probably where you see that come into play most often will be when you order uh, structure defense resources. Like you want two immediate need type one strike teams for structure defense. That'll get those closest type ones there um, in short order. But realistically, it can be used for any type of strike team. So those are the big changes that'll be coming up. And having that um, understanding will be, I think, crucial to success in the upcoming promotional exams. But like we said, training should have um, some videos and also some written um, cheat sheets to better explain that to get people used to the change.
0: And that's a uh, county-wide change. So um, expect that from all the metro cities as well so that we're all on the same page. And the whole idea was that we weren't, uh, whether it was on the metro side or the OCFA side, we weren't bypassing closer units just to get units out of the metro side or units out of the OCFA side so that you can get them there as quick as possible and put them right to work.
5: Yeah, and that's what we want to do with all this was basically if you need the resources, ask for what you need. Don't worry about the dollars and cents of it, that will be handled by the chief officers down the road as far as reimbursement. So the easiest way to explain it is when you get on scene, order what you need.
0: And John, I wanted to switch over to, uh, I know you and I talked about um, some of the recent incidents we've had. and especially with the crew and some of the folks maybe not quite understanding uh, the difference between our hand crew and or a CAL FIRE hand crew and uh, just some of the trends you're noticing with some of the engine companies out there and maybe relying a little bit too much on the crew and forgetting some of the basics uh, on the engine company level so maybe you can expand on
3: that a little. Sure thanks Chief. Um, We're in a unique position because we go to most of the vegetation fires in County being the only crew uh, 25 in-county fires, vegetation fires last year. Um, so we get to see all the shifts, all the battalions, how they operate, strength, weaknesses, good, bad, and ugly. Um, some of the trends I've been noticing, however, and we've gotten away with it because the uh, fuel loading has been significantly less than normal because of the drought, is uh, frontal assaults, uh, starting a progressive hose lay mid-flank, um, those are all very dangerous operations that we, that we uh, learn about in very basic 130-190, uh, but um, we've been able to be successful because we haven't had the f- fuel loading. This year's going to be a different trend. We have the fuel loading this year. So the message I'd like to say for fu- initial attack is to just concentrate on the basics. Back to the basics. Anchor, flank, and pinch. Get to the heel of the fire, anchor it so it doesn't hook around behind you uh, like can happen if you start a hose lay mid-flank and uh, just progress up and pinch it off and you're good. And all the resources working together, whether it's the crew and the engines or the dozers and the engines and the helicopters, everybody working together on that division to pinch this fire off and we'll be successful and be able to fight fire safely. And just think about um, how the fire is burning. Look at uh, the fire behavior um, based on the situation that you have in front of you. If it's a mid slope start and it's light fuels and it's burning up slope and away from you, guess what? You can come underneath it and stretch progressive hose lays through the green, anchor it, and flank it. Uh, we're all used to the roadside starts. Those are easy because they're already anchored for us. Um, but if the fire is burning towards you and you got both feet in the green, not a good place to be. Um, another thing I've noticed is the engine companies aren't always taking hand tools with them. Um, lots of times once you put your progressive hose lay in and the forward rate of spread is stopped um, you can pull a hand tool out and start uh, hot spotting or starting a little scratch line or the captain can bump ahead and hold a fire in check um, from dropping down into a drainage. Um, there's lots and lots of things you can do with a hand tool so have your hand tools with you.
2: I kind can of tie into that too. Um, I've always I'm always reminding the guys if, if, to bring their tool with them, just like you said. But the, a lot of times they get the pushback. Well, how am I supposed to carry my tool and, and carry the hose and an extra hose and you know and help out with the hose at the same time? And one of the things they can do is take some some P cord and just put a little couple loops on the back of their uh, on the back of their web gear, and they can slide those tools right down their back, just like you guys do. Right. Uh, when you're carrying multiple tools, and then they've got that with them. So then they do run out of hose, or we run out of water, and we're right we're stuck waiting for more, you can continue to work, just like I said, with the helicopter and do a little hot spotting and attack work and and keep things going.
3: That's an excellent point. And with our mystery ranch crew packs, we have lots of hooks to hang things from. And now with the new FSS packs, the blue ones, they should be able to do the same thing. Uh, One thing I'd like to caution everybody with is is have a rhino. A little short-handled tool that's hanging off your back. Maybe not long-handled tools day. hanging off right. your back yeah well, uh, Pulaski's too right yeah. Pulaski's yeah. a great tool yeah exactly that's nice and flat did a lot of work yeah will sit nice and tight against your back so. that's really back.
5: important with the crew only being staffed you know daytime hours if people aren't aware of that you know it comes true. on at seven o'clock it goes home at uh five o'clock same with the heavy equipment so those tweener fires either early morning or in the evenings There is no crew to help you out or it's going to be a prolonged delay after they're requested.
3: Especially if it's in light fuels, there's no reason why some hand tools can't put a line around small fire. Heavy, heavy, heavy fuels, uh, I'd advise getting the uh, guys that run the saws on a full-time
5: basis and to take care of that situation. But
3: light, there's no reason. Small light fuels, engine companies can't tool up and take care of it.
5: It's interesting to note, too, all the discussion this year is about how much grass there is and You know, heavy fuel loading the reality of it is it's really just the normal grass crop that's there it's just we've had so many drought years with so little grass what's there now is kind of alarming to a lot of the folks that are out there Um, and somebody from uh, Cal Fire was telling me the other day is you got to realize a lot of the people that have been around in the fire service long for the last five years that's all they've known is no grass. That's a real good point. So it's just back to where it is on a normal basis it's not anything that's alarming but that normal can kill you.
3: Absolutely,
5: and that's an
3: outstanding point. I noticed it even on the, uh, the last two fires in San Clemente, the Christianitos and the Lapata. The younger folks that maybe haven't seen that type of behavior from 20 years ago were very, very concerned uh, with the BTUs and the way the fire was burning, um, very concerned. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's normal fire behavior. At for the end of the Southern day, California,
5: with, with most structures being threatened, it's cow food, yeah. so it's not worth killing yourself over. It'll all grow back. That's absolutely right.
0: Well, hey, thank you guys all. I think this was a a great uh, first outreach for this, for the podcast. And um, I just wanted to remind those that are listening that uh, you can contact any of us if you'd like additional information. And um, we'd be happy to uh, go a little bit deeper with you. So thank you for listening today. And uh, this will conclude today's podcast.
1: All right, well, uh, thank you again uh, to Division Chief Ken Cruz, Battalion Chief Brian Norton, and uh, Fire Captain John Lamb, as well as Fire Captain Jim Day, and the WEFIT coordinator, Natalie Knacker, for participating in this week's podcast. Our next episode will come out on Wednesday, the 2nd of August, and it will be a comprehensive look at airport emergencies in general. Plus, we'll actually talk to some of the first responders to the plane that went down on the 405 freeway back in June. Until then, everybody watch out for each other, and we'll talk to you soon.